3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people one of make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There's more to this business than watching the Federal Reserve. And that's true even on a day like today where the Dow loses 116 points, S&P shed 0.48%, and the Nasdaq declined 0.78%. Everyone acts like this is a totally binary situation. It's driving me bonkers. If the Fed eases, you buy stocks. If the Fed tightens, you sell stocks. But you know what? The Fed has tightened nine times since December 2015. We've had a phenomenal bull run here. I'm not saying the Fed doesn't matter. Jerome Powell almost drove the economy off a cliff late last year when he was determined to raise interest rates seemingly at any cost. I will be watching him like a hawk or maybe a dovish hawk when he speaks to Congress this week. However, I think far too many people are misreading the Fed here and more important, they are misreading the moment. They know nothing. First, let me set the stage. Let's talk about the economy. After gaining strength for the better part of a decade, the economy started losing steam last fall. The business cycle is a tricky thing. It can speed up or slow down for any number of reasons. It maybe took the econ course, maybe it didn't, but we don't even need to know the cost. We just need to notice that a slowdown's happening. The problem late last year is that they didn't notice. Hey, they didn't notice in 2007 either. It's something they get wrong now and then. If you look back at the whole period since the Fed started tightening, there's only one huge decline. The one that lasted from December, October to December. See that? Why? Because even though the data from all across the economy was weakening, we had, alas, can't come up with a better word for it. We had a rookie Fed chief, rookie, Jay Powell. He didn't see the signs, which I thought were obvious, and didn't recognize the power of his own words. He felt compelled to promise multiple rate hikes. In fact, he said he was willing to overshoot To raise rates too much? If that's what it took to tame inflation, Powell couldn't have been more wrong. The economy was already decelerating. So his hawkish policy freaked out the business community badly. It freaked out the stock market. It freaked out everybody. It crushed stocks. (laughs) It was a horrible mistake. And I said so repeatedly at that time when things were really off the rails. But, and this is a big but, I believe Powell has learned from his mistakes. Last month, he decided to be more data-dependent, like his predecessor, the fabulous Janet Yellen, when President Trump fired. Well, with Yellen, you knew what you were going to get. If the economy got too hot, she'd tighten, but otherwise she'd stand pat. Now, Powell didn't use these words precisely, and he hasn't flat out said that the last rate hike in December was a mistake. However, by effectively adopting Yellen's position, he's given the stock market a new level of flexibility. And this is something people don't seem to understand. Going into Friday's terrific employment number, the smart money was betting on a rate cut when the Fed meets later this month. And that was just all the chatter. Oh, God, it's so hard to block out. And when the number was good, well, it made a rate cut less likely, so everybody starts freaking out. The thing is, you at home do not need to play this game anymore. There's no need to guess pal's intentions. That's not what we do. That's not investing. We know that if the economy slows down, it'll cut interest rates. He said that. We know if the economy accelerates, well, eventually it'll raise interest rates. He's using common sense. So what happens if you step away from the Fed betting window? Well, it's crazy. You can start analyzing companies based on their earnings again, what we do with Mad Money, which brings me to the game plan for the rest of this week. When we come in tomorrow morning, PepsiCo, we all know what it is, Pepsi, right? PepsiCo kicks off the earnings season. I want to use PepsiCo as a primer for what really matters when you're picking stocks. Not will he, won't he. That's just a fool's game. First, you need to know how a stock's been doing. In PepsiCo's case, it's done quite well. It's up 20% for the year. Then we look at how expensive it is on an apples to apples basis. Right now, PepsiCo trades at what's known as 24 times earnings. And that is substantially more pricey than the average stock in the S&P 500, which is at about 18 times earnings. Too expensive? Now, makes sense. PepsiCo is one of the most consistent, well-run companies on earth. Then there's the dividend. PepsiCo sports a 2.9% yield, which is pretty darn attractive at a time when the 10-year treasury only, excuse me, only gives you about 2%. In other words, PEP gives you more consistent growth than the average stock with an above-average yield. Of course, if there was demand, or say huge demand for money right now, then long-term interest rates would be higher and PepsiCo stock would be less attractive. But that's definitely not the situation now. Let's steal the reality. It's not. And remember, the Fed doesn't control long-term rates. And as long as uh, foreign central banks keep their rates artificially low and our inflation stays low, our our rates are going to stay down here, too. All right, enough about PepsiCo stock. What about the fundamentals of the company? Okay, Ramon LaGuardia the relatively new CEO who took over when the amazing Andrew Nui stepped down, has talked about accelerating worldwide sales growth. How will he pull it off? Well, maybe he does it with some good execution. Maybe he does it with what's on this table. This is their new products. Uh, These are the products that PepsiCo has been introducing. They're good examples of, um, hmm, eh, maybe. Uh, They're good examples of what we got here. Uh, maybe he does it with a nice bump in international sales. I think the new products matter ingenuity matters. It's a heck of a lot more important than what he'll hear from Jay Powell. We will not want to pay attention to Jay Powell. We want to pay attention to the conference call of what PepsiCo has to say and what when we interview them on CNBC. Notice I have not talked about the Fed once. So sales look good. What about the gross margin, what the company makes after the cost of goods sold? I'm betting PepsiCo's raw costs are coming down. They've been growing consistently as a, uh, because of the packaging, the ingredients, uh, the transportation costs. They've been climbing relentlessly. But, you know, now that the economy's kind of cooled off, I think some of those trends are going to begin to reverse, which could allow PEP to deliver a nice upside Forecast, okay, forecast. I don't think that this quarter you're going to see everything that goes into this bottle go down in value, okay? I mean what, what it costs them, but I think they can forecast that in the future. Of course, some things could hurt them. PepsiCo is vulnerable to a strong dollar, but that's already baked into the share price. Nobody expects Pepsi will gain from the currency, for heaven's sake. Everyone expects it to lose. So we're putting that in the so what category. Finally, we do care about the overall direction of the stock market. However, we won't care in the way that the pundits do. What matters to us? Simple. If PepsiCo beats all these benchmarks and its stock gets pulled down by the weakness in the averages because of the endless Fed chatter, then you should think about buying the stock. Why not just go buy with both hands? Because right now, there are too many investors who focus on what the Fed will say. We need to gauge their disappointment. Let them make their mistakes. And then, and only then would I sanction pulling the trigger. Bottom line, if the Fed heads keep worrying about the economy, uh, whether it's in good shape or not, and that maybe we'll get a rate cut or not, you may have a chance to buy incredibly high quality stocks like PepsiCo on the cheap. Yep, yeah, thanks to the endless and sometimes pointless guessing game on Wall Street, you get a sweet deal on all sorts of terrific stocks. Just remember we don't need a rate cut for this market to work. We just need the Fed to exercise some common sense. And I think that's what a chasing Jerome Powell will now give us. Let's go to Allen in Florida. Allen, Jerry, I got a confused
1: booyah for you, and I'm hoping you can clear it up. GWPH is the only company that
3: has an FDA-approved marijuana drug. It's $32,000 per year per patient. They're signing up. Thousands of new patients a month. They're going to be selling it in Europe this year. Insurers have already agreed to pay for it. Salesforce is hired to have a deep pipeline, 20 years of marijuana drug research. Why is their right. market cap so low? Well, I mean, let's, you know, this has been just a gigantic winner. I, I, I think we have to be careful uh, in saying that this one has a market cap that's too low. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a, just a rocket ship. It's up 78%. Um, there is a belief that they have not been able to come up with more drugs, only th- this one narrow area. Uh, I do believe it's worth more than, uh, than it's selling for, as do you. But I do not want to say that a stock that's up 77% this year is one that is, uh, has a market cap that's too low. Because that's a nice move. Let's go to Jim in Colorado. Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I have owned Lockheed for several years now with a $270 basis. It is my second heaviest equity in a Kramer approved diversified portfolio. Hallelujah button. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love the company. I love the dividends. I think Marilyn is great. I think it's the best of breed in defense, and it's right around all-time high. Should I be taking some profit no, here? Or no, no, no. For every reason
3: that you it's first of all, it sells at the average price. It sells It at a market multiple. That's wrong. It's better than that. Second, it's spewing cash. Third, you're absolutely right about Marilyn Houston. Would love to have her on the show. No reason to sell a stock just because it's up, uh, because that business is... Is on fire. Alright, I want people to think bigger. I want you to think outside the thing. Have others made their own mistakes? Well, you know, if they do, if they sell because of something Pal says in the hill, for heaven's sake, and PepsiCo delivers, what an opportunity. That's when you buy. Oh right, my buddy, tonight, with News that Canopy Growth CEO Bruce Lynn is out. How is Parent Company Constellation Brands positioning itself following the leadership change? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then, with reports floating around that Broadcom is in talks with Symantec about a possible acquisition, I'm going to be talking about the man behind the incredible recovery in the stock of Symantec. And Eldorado announced plans to buy Caesars Entertainment uh, for $17.3 billion, including debt. I'm going to look into another way to play that deal. Don't miss my sit down with the CEO of Vici Properties. And stay with Kramer.
4: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
3: Last Wednesday morning we woke up to the move that Bruce Linton, he's the founder and co CEO of Kramer Fave Cannabis Company, Canopy Growth, and a frequent guest on the show, had resigned effective immediately. When he called into Squawk Box, it quickly became clear that Linton hadn't simply resigned, he'd been terminated. Remember, Canopy's largest shareholders, Constellation Brands, STZ, the big alcohol company that you may know as Corona, Modelo, Pacifico, along with a host of fancy wine and liquor brands. Constellation actually put a fantastic quarter late last month, yet hardly anyone seemed to notice because perhaps they were concerned that Canopy was spending its $4 billion Constellation Finance war chest too quickly, not getting enough bang for the buck. So let's go straight to the source and check in with Bill Newlands, a straight shooting CEO and president of Constellation Brands, get a better sense of how his company's doing and what he plans to do with the Canopy investment. Mr. News, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Good to be here. All right, Bill, it was a dynamite quarter, and yet I think everyone was really focused on one line, which was you said uh, we were not pleased with Canopy's recent reported year-end results, and then subsequently we learned, of course, that Bruce Linton was, was fired. Can you tell us what you weren't pleased by and why we should not be worried going forward about a Constellation Brands investment because of Canopy?
5: Sure. Well, as you and I have talked before, we still see this as a great opportunity. This could be a $200-plus billion business over the course of the next 10 years, and Canopy is best positioned of anyone in the industry to take advantage of that. With that said, we recognize that there are some great opportunities to push this forward, to make sure that the right form factors are being invested in and that we are winning the markets that matter. And, and this move was all about making sure that we do all of that.
3: Were you spending, was Bruce spending too much money versus uh, the actual war chest that you gave him? And were you concerned that perhaps there wasn't enough, uh, maybe the margins, the targets weren't right? What exactly was making you uncomfortable with what Bruce was doing?
5: Well, what we were really uh, engaged on is the fact that we needed focus. We need to win Canada. It's a proof of concept. We need to win the United States, and our deal with Acreage is, puts us in a perfect position as Canopy to win the U.S. market as well. But our board was uniform. We were unanimous that we needed a different leader to take us to the next phase of growth.
3: Okay, so let's figure out what can you do at a time when it's still a Class 1 uh, you know, felony to to sell cannabis in the country What can you do away from the United States, or what can you do medically? What can you do in Canada that will make it so that the $4 billion is going to give you, uh, give a shareholder uh, a lot more growth than we think?
5: Well, one of the important things that we always talk about relative to the legality of it, particularly as it relates to the U.S., 68% of U.S. consumers think cannabis should be legal. And it's over 50% for any demographic you want to talk about. Men, women, various age groups, Republican, Democrat, independent, all over 50%. So our belief is it won't be long before we, in fact, have legality at a federal level here in the United States. With that said, you know, Canopy is perfectly positioned to win in the medicinal market in Canada. As you know, uh, there's going to be opportunities uh, later this year in edibles and in beverages as Canada opens up those additional opportunities, and there's opportunities in critical markets around the world, like Germany, as an example. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity to make sure Canopy is well-positioned to win in the long run in this category.
3: Okay, and is the CEO settled? Uh, will it be the, co- the previous co-CEO? And are we sure that there was nothing wrong, say, with any of the bookkeeping? Because I know that your CFO was on the board, and he is among the best I've ever seen. So we want to be sure that there was nothing untoward.
5: No, there were no problems with the financials, and I would agree with you. David Klein is probably one of the best. Uh, CFOs I've ever seen, and we're thrilled that he is both our CFO and is on the board of Canopy as well. So thank you for that compliment for no, him.
3: No problem. All right. Now, let's go forward here because uh, away from Canopy, the quarter was extraordinary. I mean, you re-accelerated in a lot of different ways. You've got new products that are immediately being contributing to the bottom line. What is the secret behind a reacceleration when we know that almost every other beer company continues to lose?
5: Well, we are focused on our brands. And when you think about the share of voice that we have today, while other people are stepping back from their investment, we are accelerating our investment against our brands. And there's probably no better example than Modelo, which actually accelerated in the quarter to a 17% growth rate. I personally say internally, it could be our single biggest opportunity within the company. Modelo is absolutely on fire. Uh, But a lot of that comes from the fighting spirit advertising that we're doing, and we've never invested more against our business.
3: At the same time, I think we're still relatively early in the rollout of Special, correct?
5: Well, it is in the sense that it has a very strong core Hispanic uh, group behind it. But in the last two years, we've seen a 60% increase in the number of non-Hispanic consumers who have engaged with this brand. But our household penetration with Modelo is still significantly less than Corona, as an example. So we really feel that the sky's the limit on Modelo.
3: Do you think the uh, issues with Mexico and trade and tariffs are now uh, behind you? Or do you monitor every minute how the Democrats, whether they're going to give the president a hard time? Because it it, is very meaningful for you to get this bill through. Right.
5: Uh, We certainly feel like the tariff issue is behind us. And as you know, our beers are authentic Mexican beers. They have to be made in Mexico. This was not a choice. This is where they have to be made from their authenticity standpoint. So we're quite confident that that's behind us and we're quite pleased that it is.
3: Now, Refresca, and then I guess everyone wants spiky, I, you know, the spiky. I, Boston's got it. I mean, is that something you can do? Because you guys have always been at the forefront. You're going to be at the forefront, no doubt, among drinkable uh, cannabis. So it, these are things that we have to look forward to?
5: Well, Refresca is our focus for this year. And as you know, we just introduced Refresca nationally a little over a month ago, and we're thrilled with the startup. Uh, I was just with all of our beer sales leadership uh, group today, and I'm telling you, to a person, they were excited by the potential for Refresca. It's a great product, and it is delicious. So our focus is entirely on Refresca this year, and maximizing the opportunity around that particular subbrand.
3: All right. Well, look, my my uh, look, I'm unshakable that this is the best beer stock, and I feel better about Canopy, which you know I recommended heavily after what happened, just because discipline is good. Discipline's good. All right, I want to thank Bill Nuance who's the president and CEO of Constellation Brands. Uh, it remains my favorite beer stock, and Canopy remains my favorite cannabis stock. Mad Money's back in.
1: Coming up, hit the links, roll the dice, but don't change the channel. Should this fun focused real estate company be in your portfolio? Kramer sits down with the CEO when Mad Money returns.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
4: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
3: searching for companies with great management around here. But what does great management even look like? This is one of those things that's impossible to quantify, even though it's very important, which is why I'm always trying to find examples to help illustrate my point. And last week, we got yet another fantastic demonstration from a man by the name of Rick Hill, the newly appointed interim CEO of Symantec, a guy with an incredible track record of creating value for his shareholders. In early May, this company had just delivered a disastrous earnings report and the previous CEO resigned, candidly under a cloud. Then Symantec picked Hill, a longtime tech executive on the board of directors, to take the reins. The stock bottomed at $17.50 about a month ago. Yet within two months, Rick Hill turned the narrative around. You may have missed it if you were on vacation last week, but late late Tuesday, we learned that Symantec was in talks to sell itself to Broadcom, and the stock surged 14% on Wednesday alone uh, on that news. It's now $25 and change. We don't know how this thing's going to play out. We don't even know if the company will be sold. But you're already up huge since Hill took over, and that's pretty much par for the course for this guy. Now, I'm not surprised at all by the fact that Rick Hill might want to sell the company for a nice premium. In fact, eight months ago, I told you that this was a likely outcome, given that Symantec brought him in as a board member. It was, a little, it was like a little mention in a press release, but I highlighted to you, this is the time to buy. Now, look, I never would have predicted that he could get something done within two months, taking you over as CEO. The man's got the Midas touch, though. So tonight, I want to walk you through how this happened, what the deal might mean for Broadcom, and what we can learn from it going forward. Let's start with how. For those of you who've never had to deal with irritating antivirus pop-ups on your computer, Symantec makes cybersecurity software. They're one of the older players in the space. You know them as Norton Antivirus. Oh, by the way, they also own the incredibly lucrative LifeLock. While this company is 37 years old, the current incarnation goes back to 2014 when the old Symantec broke itself up. Then, about three years ago, the new Symantec, a leaner, meaner cybersecurity company, snapped up the privately held Bluecoat Systems and handed the keys to the combined company to Bluecoat's management team, including a man by the name of Greg Clark, whom they made as CEO. For more than a year, the merger seemed to be paying off. Well. Stocks surging from $15 in early 2016 to north of 34 in 2017. Last year, though, the story started breaking down and breaking down badly. First, Symantec disclosed a big internal accounting investigation, and while it didn't uncover anything major, it left the stock more vulnerable to the big market-wide breakdown in the fourth quarter, which brought the stock back down to the teens. And that's when I started recommending Symantec. The stock had been hammered, but the story had already changed. In September, the company reached an agreement with the smart activist investors at Starboard Value, Part of their arrangement, Symantec had to appoint Rick Hill to its board of directors. Now, Hill has a long and storied history in this business. He's the CEO who sold Novellus, the semiconductor equipment maker, to Lamb Research back in 2012 for a 28% premium, something that made many of our viewers a lot of money because Rick Hill was about as close as a regular as you could get. And he kept buying back stock and showing you how cheap it was, and then boom! Do you know that when Hill took over in 1993, Novellus was a $100 million company? In 2012, Lamb paid roughly $3.3 billion for it. Now, there's a track record. That's why when I got behind Symantec in November, I specifically told you that Hill's involvement made it more likely that the company would put itself up for sale. Remember, it was Starboard that brought him in. He's worked with them as a consultant for years, helping them turn around struggling tech companies. However, it hasn't exactly been a smooth ride between then and now. As 2019 got rolling, Symantec's stock rebounded along with the rest of the market. Then the stock fell off a cliff on May 9th when the company posted an okay quarter, but really horrendous guidance. It was so bad that Greg Clark stepped down as CEO. And that's when they handed control of the company to Rick Hill, who immediately brought in his own chief financial officer, Vincent Pellett. He was previously the CFO of Logitech. After all that turmoil, it took about a month for Symantec stock to bottom. But ever since it's found its footing in early June, it's been marching higher until last week when it catapulted in the stratosphere. And that's when Bloomberg broke the news that Broadcom's in advance talk to acquire Symantec. Of course, as I mentioned, this is not a done deal. Apparently, the two companies are still haggling overpriced. David Faber, CNBC's own MA and Maven, and my squawk on the street co host, says he's hearing that they could pay more than $25 a share but less than $30. And if Broadcom can't make it work, Well, they've got a backup plan to buy another software company, and that's the privately held Tipco, which, by the way, used to be regular on the show, too. Then over the weekend, Bloomberg broke another story. They said that Broadcom's getting its financing ducks in a row, and they note that Symantec's former CEO, Greg Clark, not to be confused with Clark Gregg, is working with a private equity firm to set up a rival bid. If Rick Hill can set off a bidding war, that would be the cherry on top. Even if he only makes the Broadcom deal happen, I think that's enough to guarantee him a position in the Mad Money Hall of Fame, like part two. Let me make one thing crystal clear. At this point, it's too late to buy Symantec. Once you know a deal is in the works, that's when the arbitrators step in. And so therefore, the easy money's already been made. So even though it might go out, I think, at 28, if it goes out, I'm not getting behind it here. It's, it's moved too much. However, there is definitely a case for owning the potential acquirer, Broadcom, symbol AVGO. Now, this is an odd deal for a gigantic semi-company. It would be their second software purchase in a row, following last year's acquisition of CA Technologies, which worked out incredibly well. Back then, that transaction did strike many investors as odd, and Broadcom's stock got hammered. But the stock only rocked higher from last November when the deal closed to the beginning of May, when the semi-cohort peaked as the trade tensions with China heated up. Now that our government seems to be maybe ratcheting down those tensions at least somewhat, we can focus on the fundamentals again when it comes to the semis. And at Broadcom, the fundamentals are real good. CEO Hawk Tan is a brilliant deal maker. We know that the CA takeover is doing better than expected, in part because CA shared a ton of large enterprise customers with up. Now Tan is trying to buy Symantec because he wants to offer his clients bundled solutions rather than just hardware. Basically, he's trying to get a larger piece of the information technology spending pie. Symantec gives them a truly excellent security offering that they can sell alongside their chips. And I think it could be a potent combination. And while Symantec still needs to be turned around, and and unfortunately I think a lot of people have to be let go, Tan is one of the few executives out there who can pull that off, as well as Rick Hill. At least he's done it many times. Bottom line, when you find a backable chief executive who always seems to create value for the shareholders, stick with them. Two months ago, Symantec looked like a total mess, but they made Rick Hill interim CEO, and he's perhaps found a way to strike a deal with Broadcom for his company, and in record time. And hey, if you want more of that Rick Hill magic, you should know that he's still the chairman of Marvell Technologies. We own that one from my Chapel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLarsPlus.com club. But more importantly, you need to view this as a learning opportunity. When a CEO has earned the benefit of the doubt, please give it to them. Richard New York, Richard. Richard. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Thank you very much for taking my call. Of and more importantly, thank you for being so thoughtful and generous with your time and knowledge. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's very kind. I have a question regarding Dell Technologies. If Dell owns 81% of VMware, which is worth about $55 billion, why is their market cap only
4: around $36 billion?
3: This has historically been an issue. It has to do with taxes. It has to do with uh, VMware growing faster than Dell. People would rather own VMware. I I totally agree, and that's why Dell was private. Uh, Michael Dell, the last quarter, was not that strong. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the issue here it's an oddity. It's why I've been recommending VMware, uh, because I actually believe that, (laughs) I know this is going to sound odd, it trades at a discount because it's connected to Dell. Maybe it should trade uh, ultimately at a premium because it's connected to Amazon. Let's go to Ken in California, please. Ken. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Tom time call from Palm Springs. Okay. Ultrex
1: hey, uh, has been our best-performing stock and seems to have ever-increasing earnings, 44 cents per share recently. I've harvested profits once and I decided to, earlier today to get back in. Here's a question. If they are not pursued as an acquisition target, what do you see – Alteryx going to by next spring.
3: Uh, uh, I, I can't. Eldrix is one of the hottest stocks I've ever seen. By the way, Alteryx follows you everywhere if you do the cookie thing. I have Alteryx, they, they find me, it's like, what's a badass software manager? It's Alteryx. These guys are real good at their job. Uh, I am doing a piece about some stocks that I regard as being too expensive for me, but the companies are great. And right now, Alteryx is on that. Great company. Too expensive, but it does make money let's go to art in maryland art hi jim this is the first i'm a first caller i'm calling yes. from uh, bethesda
5: adjacent to washington dc also sure. known as tweet town uh i have a, a stock that i've been in for quite some time teradyne symbol t-e-r has been very good to me for some number of years uh currently it's somewhere in the 47 48 dollar range uh is this a buy, sell, or hold? Uh, is there any? Uh, uh, it's an uh, excellent
3: test and measurement uh, company. I think you're absolutely right that it's a terrific company. Uh, and I would continue to own it, even though it is up. Uh, it is up almost 50% this year. Um, but I do think that it is very, very well run. And I would think just own it. All right. Uh, when a CEO earns the benefit of the Dow, I want you to give it to them. Rick Hill, you work some real magic here with the Symantec. Much more man money from gaming to hospitality. This company's got some hot properties in its portfolio. So is it time to make room in your portfolio for the stock? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Vici, V-I-C-I Properties, to find out. Then, why keeping it simple in this market could lead you to profits? Don't overthink everything. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
1: In a busy world, one values a taste of luxury and leisure. From the casino to the golf course, this company is investing in the American appetite for entertainment. Well, investors value a real estate trust that aims to make hospitality hot?
3: A couple of weeks ago, we learned that El Dorado Resorts is buying Caesars Entertainment. That's the company behind Caesars Palace for $8.6 billion, creating a major new player in the casino space. However, you might have missed that this transaction occurred pretty much simultaneously with a smaller deal that I really like, the VG Properties, real estate investment trust company that we had on before. It owns the land under many of the Caesars Palace locations. They also acquired three properties from El Dorado for a total of about $3.28 billion. There's a lot more to it than that we're going to go over it. I think Vici is the slow and steady way to invest in the casino and gaming spaces, especially since the stock sports a 5.2% yield, which is increasingly attractive in this low interest rate environment. And apparently people agree with me because the stock's up 18% for the year. Can they keep climbing? Let's take a closer look at this one because we've got Ed Petoniak. He is the CEO of Vici Properties You get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Petoniak, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Ed. Good to see you. Good to be back. Thank you. I remember when you first came on. Have a seat. And I said, wow, this could be like EPR, experiential real estate play. And it has been remarkable. And yet at the same time, it's got less risk than when I saw you last. How have you been able to do that, even though you've been making big acquisitions?
6: Yeah, well, you know, since I was here a little over a year ago, we've done about $5 billion of transactions. We've raised about $3.2 billion of equity, coincidentally with the number you cited a moment ago. We've added new tenants in Penn, Hard Rock, and Century. And I think what we've been supported by is this understanding that this is the... This is the um, This is the cheapest great real estate on the planet right now in terms of being a place where experiences are taking place that Amazon has not yet figured out how to put in a box and ship to your house.
3: Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out because many of the real estate investment trust candidates from when we started the show almost 15 years ago have fallen on hard times. And not because of management, but because other companies have come in and hurt them. Meanwhile, there are secular trends that I think are helping you experience... Online gaming turns out to be gaming, and it tends to happen at the places that you own. Exactly right. And when
6: you combine that with the uh, the proliferation of sports betting across the country, um, it's really the way in which the next generation of guests for these properties are going to emerge. And and when you look at the larger culture and this desire to gather, we saw it yesterday in the World Cup, right? Right. The thousands of people who turned out to watch a game on a big television together, because it, it it's such a much richer experience when it happens happens in a place that's animated. And, and our operators are really the best, I think, on the planet at creating that, that experience that you, you are so compelled to leave home for.
3: In the meantime, you also, since I've seen you geographically, really fabulous diversity. Yes. Yeah. All over.
6: Yeah, we've uh, since I met with you, we've added a property in Louisiana with Penn. Uh, we've done two deals with Dan, uh, Dan Gilbert's great gaming company, Jack.
3: I bought, know. I hope he's doing well. Yeah, yeah We hope yeah. he's doing well.
6: He's tough, man. Yeah. He, he, he's going to do well. Uh, but we bought Greektown in Detroit, a market we really like, and, and Jack Cincinnati, where we'll partner with Hard Rock. And one of the things we like about those two assets, as well as the New Orleans asset that we're going to buy here in, in the next year or so, is these are downtown assets. You know the gaming landscape well, Jim. They're there are very few true downtown casinos in America, right. and in the last year, we picked up two of them.
3: You know, I, that Harris in New Orleans, which I've been to many times, and unfortunately, I think they're getting rid of the smoking, which is, because I never liked that. I'm northern, <laughs> northern casino player. But that is an, a, a property that's one in a million because the populate, the number of people who go to New Orleans every single year keeps going up very big.
6: It it, it, it it does, and it benefits from so many of the tourism and uh, demand drivers that Las Vegas also benefits from. It's got a great big convention center. It's a very popular convention destination, needless to say, a phenomenally successful tourism destination. When you take all those demand drivers and funnel them into really one and only one downtown casino in New Orleans, we are going to be very happy the day we get the keys to that now You've
3: lowered the leverage tremendously. Are, are there more things to buy? Because we know that the real estate investment trust we like have that cont- Continual growth?
6: Yeah, well, one of the important things we achieved with the deal we announced two weeks ago today, Jim, is that we restocked our growth pipeline. So we have an agreement with the new Caesars uh, once Eldorado takes over. We'll have a couple of properties we can eventually call in Indiana, great properties in Indianapolis. We've acquired two uh, right of first refusals on Las Vegas strip assets that we think will have tremendous value. So we've got a growth pipeline going forward in gaming we're very excited about. And then the day will come when we will go outside of gaming and think that we will be able to capitalize. Much like EPR has, because the top golf is a good outfit. Oh, it, they've done
3: phenomenally well. Right. And you've got the, the golf courses that you know. Yes. Really, have got a great pedigree. Now, last time I saw you, I was concerned that you were so concentrated with an outfit that I was worried about the balance sheet. Caesars, that's been cured, right? Yeah, and it, it will get it will get even will get, better. Right. So, um, um, Tom Reg, who,
6: who the CEO of Eldorado, who will be the CEO of Caesars, um, is is an old distressed debt guy. An old credit guy. And smart credit guys are really focused on credit quality. And Tom has announced his ambition to restore Caesars to investment grade. Oh, great. Right? Okay. And you know that for a REIT, for, the, for its biggest tenant to be investment grade, it becomes what's called in commercial real estate a credit tenant. Right. That is another step in getting us to the blue-chip status we want to And enjoy. I think you
3: have to understand that you're getting both price appreciation here if that happens and also this terrific distribution that I have much less worry about. I thought I was worried because you did a great job when you were here last, but I love how things have changed for the better. People keep telling me I should ask you about this right of first refusal. It's more important than I realize, that this could be good growth, too.
6: It could be. Um, Right now, the combo- the Caesars has 25,000 rooms to fill every night in Las Vegas. And and Tom Reek has recognized what a number of people have recognized, which is this is more rooms than perhaps we need. They've got the biggest, they will have, they already have, but they will moreover have when you have the combination of El Dorado and Caesars, the best regional footprint in America, which is, again, going to be in a unique position to capitalize on the proliferation of sports betting. But that, that spoke system, if you will, is feeding a hub that's frankly bigger than it absolutely needs needs to be. And um, it could become, and it remains to be seen if it will, it could become a means by which um, Caesars continues to improve its balance sheet and, perf- and optimize its portfolio, at the same time giving us a chance to own more stri- strip real estate.
3: Well, I like I like the growth. I like everything you've done. You've just been a terrific operator. I wish you the best of luck. This is one that yields 5%. And you're you're and one that 10-year yields too, and I prefer these properties. That's Ed Petoniak. He's the CEO of Vici Properties. That's V-I-C-I. Yes, a little Latin there. Thank you, Ed. Great Thank to you, see Jim. you. They Good to see you. have money back after the break. It is time. <laughs> the round is <laughs> and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skeet? Daddy, for the lightning round. Over. <laughs> the lightning round over. I want to start with Phil me Phil.
1: Hey, Jim to you yeah, Hey, my uh, question is about adaptive biotechnologies.
3: Life science equipment is always going to give you the Danaher. That's where I'm going to send you, especially after Air doubled down with that GE acquisition that was so brilliant. Let's go to Alberto in Ohio, Alberto.
0: Oh, I have to ask you: Is GE going to make a turnaround, or should I sell my stock?
3: No, no, don't don't sell here. I know I know Steve Tuesday is a terrific analyst over at JP Morgan, but Larry Culp is a terrific CEO over at GE, and we're going to bet with Culp. We think Culp's got a long-term plan. I need to go to Rob in Florida, Rob. Jim, how are you? I am good, Rob. How about you? Good. Thank you.
1: Uh, Vector Group, we like the asset-liability ratio. We use big dividends
3: for reinvestment. Do you think it's going to turn around the share price, or is it stuck on tobacco road? It's stuck on tobacco road. You know, people know me. I will not recommend tobacco stock. I'm just not going to do that. I'm also candidly tired of the jewel ads, which make me feel like that they are... uh, trying to keep people um, healthy. How about that? Let's go to Beverly in South Carolina. Beverly!
6: Hey, Jim. I am honored. I wanted to tell you that your show and your books have helped make me very comfortable at age 86.
3: Wow! Yes! Thank you for calling, Beverly. This is terrific. Thank you.
6: I am very interested in what's going on with the stock
3: V, Right. And well, you know, AbV bought Allergan, and I've not been able to opine on that, by the way, because I happened to be in Italy when it happened. Um, I'm not crazy about... Uh, neither company has enough of a pipeline to make me intrigued. I know that both companies would disagree with me, but I have a right to call them as I see it. I prefer to see you in an Abbott, which is the split from AbbVie, which is a medical device company. How about Dominic in California? Dominic. Yeah, hi. This is Dominic's grandfather. He has a question for you. Sure, man. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Booyah, Jim. I'm a 14-year-old investor that has been investing with the help of my grandpa since I was seven years old. Today, I'm calling you for your opinion about Starbucks. Should I keep Starbucks and see if it continues to grow or sell it and buy McDonald's? I bought Starbucks and it was fifty-nine dollars a share.
4: And now it's a little over 80. Uh, look, I'm not going to let picture. you
3: sell it. Kevin Johnson's doing too good a job. But I tell you, we were talking about him. Carl uh, Kittanyi and David Faber. Easterbrook's doing a great job at McDonald's. But I think what's most important is this is a 14-year-old who's buying a stock, has not been brainwashed into thinking that he can't pick anything, has not bought the prevailing ethos that we're stupid and they're not. He's going to make good money. And I think it's sensational. Uh, I like them both. I like McDonald's, and I like Starbucks. Let's go to Steve in California. Steve! Yes, thank you for taking the call, Jim. Uh, sure. PBS Energy, it's got a good yield, and it's a decent price. You know, earnings. I've been looking into them mostly because my friend Rusty Brazil, whom I saw quoted this week, and really terrific uh, about pipelines. I'm concerned about it. I, I, and, you know, when I recommend... Uh, when I recommend a refiner, and I have really not made a big deal of refineries, so I do like Marathon P, uh, and that yields almost the same amount. And that, laser inclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: Well, on some level, you got to admire this market's simplicity. Notice I didn't say stupidity. Simplicity. We get a strong non-farm payroll report on Monday, oh, you know, Friday morning, right? Monday morning, people assess, they come in, and with guns blazing, they buy the stocks that you benefit from a robust labor market. Now, you would think there'd be more to it, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, shouldn't there be more mystery, more science, more brain power involved in these judgments? Maybe not. Sometimes it really is just that simple, and I'm going to tell you why. Right now, we have a cluster of retailers that are so powerful that you can just point to them as the winners from a strong job market. We know the win because they're that dominant. I'm talking about companies like Walmart. This stock's up 21% for the year. It hit a new all-time high today. Why is Walmart so strong? Because the company's doing great. They had the best same-store sales in ages. On top of that, Walmart's got a plan. The Walton family is letting CEO Doug McMillan spend as much money as he needs to become a real rival to Amazon on the web. In the latest quarter, the company's digital sales exploded up 40% year-over-year. I think it up 44% the year before. Wow! That's staggering. I think Walmart made a brilliant move when they bought Jet.com for $3.3 billion a few years ago. Sure didn't seem at the time, but that acquisition was a total bargain. Especially since they got to keep Mark Laurie. I don't know if you remember him on the show. Smart fella. It may the smart guy in e-commerce other than Jeff Bezos. Granted, Walmart is still a long way from Amazon's digital dominance, but there's the, the only conceivable challenger, they're doing surprisingly well. Who else wins when employment picks up? How about Costco? The numbers here are so extraordinarily consistent that it's worth paying up for this red-hot stock. Costco is finally expanding online. And their food business is finally making a lot of money. But most important, the darn thing is a club with 90 million paying numbers. members. All of them would probably pay more. Think of Costco as the original Amazon Prime. Third retail winner? Lululemon. Pull voted nearly 2% today. Lulu's become the go to growth stock because it has the strongest same store sales numbers. Money managers never hesitate to buy the retailer with the best comps. It's like there's a mythical envelope that every growth oriented portfolio manager keeps in their desk. And it says, in the event of a fabulous employment report, please open. And inside is the simple instruction buy Lulu. Fourth, Home Depot. This is the default home improvement play whenever we create a lot of jobs in this country. Now, it doesn't even matter how good the company's last quarter was. In this case, uh, fund managers didn't like the numbers, but memories are in short supply on Wall Street. What matters is the future, not the past. And with healthy hiring, Home Depot is always going to be a buy. Finally, best for less, yes, Amazon. Now, we're in the, a week away from the misleadingly named Amazon Prime Day, which is actually days, July 15th and 16th market on your calendar. Historically, you've done well if you own Amazon ahead of the sell, self-created shopping holiday. Because when people are inevitably shocked by the company's big numbers, you can sell the stock in strength. Amazingly, the payroll report trumps the gravitational pull of the tech ETFs, almost all of which were way down today. The stock in those ETFs usually do trade together, but not, not Amazon. Rallied nine bucks anyway. Nine bucks. Uh, too much work for you? Some managers just like to buy the RTH, the Van Eck Vectors Retail ETF. I think that's a mistake, though, because 20% of this thing is Amazon. Home Depot and Walmart are both 10%, Costco's 5%. You're getting a lot of exposure to good retailers, but then you also got the lower quality names in there, too. Might as well stick with the winners, don't you think? That's why I hate those sector ETFs. I'd rather own the best than a mix of the best and mediocre and the worst. So stick with the ones I've outlined. If the job market stays strong, these fabulous retail stocks will keep winning and winning and winning. Stick with Craven. Investing is not a game. We're not playing a parlor trick. Is the Fed going to do this? Is the Fed going to do that? We're going to look at PepsiCo tomorrow and decide whether the company is doing better than we were hoping and maybe the stock comes down because of all this nonsense about what Powell may or may not say on the Hill. This is called investing and it's worked for years and it will continue to do so. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here
4: on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow.